Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Sex. What a great way to get everyone's attention, right? Before we jump into all that God has to say about this, I just want to—I just need to talk to you a little bit from my heart. I always try to talk from the heart, but sometimes more consciously than others. And uh, I want to say that in our day and age, our culture—it's even in the news. I heard it again yesterday in the news. All sorts of issues related to sex in the news that are court cases and and you know laws and politics and people and signs and protests and people divided all those kinds of things and I just want you to know that that's not what we're about here today okay we do want to look and see what God has to say about sex and we're going to do that with kind of three different Approaches versus is looking at what does God say about sex and his intentions for that. And then we're going to talk about, so what about the, you know, these issues that are dividing us today in our culture related to sex? Uh, and, and what does God have to say about that? And then try to answer the question, so where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? And then... Um, to present a challenge to us as a church by inviting people who are different places than us who want to know God to join us, okay? Um, And and one of my concerns is is when we go to talk about something like this, especially as we get into that uh, issues that are, like I said, are the divisive issues of our day that we forget that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? That we might not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the the world. And so that includes all of you here today, any of you here today who are not on the same page as I am on with respect to what God says in his word. If you're watching and you, you know you aren't there or you're listening and, and maybe you're clear on the other side, you already think you know what we're going to say and you're against it or whatever. I just ask everybody, let's all just open our hearts to God today, okay? At least to understand what it is that he says so we can make informed decisions about these issues in our lives. Uh, and so... Trying to, to speak on the, the portion of it that is about what's happening today is like trying to hit a moving target, okay? Because there's so many things that are changing all the time. And so uh, terminology uh, is sometimes offensive to people. I've tried to understand where the terminology's at and to, my intent is to try to use it in a way that communicates effectively. If, if I mess up, Give me some grace, okay? Because my heart's intent is to communicate both the truth and the love of God to you today, not to be, uh, for me to be offensive, okay? So let's ask God to help us with this. Father, I thank you for the wonderful treasure that you've given us in your word, Lord, and, and I do confess that it has been misused. It's been used against people when the reality of his father that all that you tell us in there is not against us, but for us. Even if it describes things in our lives that aren't right, that aren't what you have told us, that aren't what you desire for us, Lord, that you still tell us those things for our benefit. And so I pray today, Father, that all of our hearts and our minds can be open to you. I pray, Father, that you will speak through me clearly what you want us to hear. And I trust that your Holy Spirit, Lord, does as he always does and speaks to the individuals about them and you. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so let's talk about sex. What does God have to say about sex? Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis. That's the, where we've been at in this series, in the beginning. Whole idea, life makes a whole lot more sense if we can start in the beginning with what God has laid down as foundational truths. And we've already looked at these verses, okay? But let's look at them again. Here in Genesis chapter one, on the sixth day of creation, God makes man in his image. And we look in verse 27. And it says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so right here in this passage, very clear, it's, just, it's, it's not directly stated like this, but it, its implications are clear. Male and female multiply, fill the earth, right? It's, it's the idea of reproduction. So sex is right here in the very beginning of God's talking about man. Okay, sex is a fundamental part of who we are as human beings. And then we get over into chapter two where God creates Eve and brings her to Adam and we see Adam's response. And let's start in verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And again, we'll talk more about this, but one flesh is more than just a physical union. It is a, it's a becoming of one in life as we go through life together. Uh, and then verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Man, that's just... Right here in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, very clearly this is when, when God creates marriage and he creates the sexual differences and he puts a man and a woman together and it says they were naked and unashamed. The idea is this is a very open, good thing that God has done. Now, um, if you go out shopping for clothing, you know, you can find designer clothing, right? Anybody here got any designer clothing? Well, you don't have to answer that. Anybody wearing any designer shoes, right? We talk about it. designer handbags, designer whatever. When you put that term designer in front of the word, what we mean is, wow, this is luxury. This is really high quality. This is the best, the great stuff, okay? Well, when it comes to sex, God is the designer of sex, which is why the title of the sermon is Designer Sex. That's what we're looking at. The, the, the best possible understanding of sex and all of the good things uh, that are connected with sex and intended to be connected with sex. So designer sex. And the fact that God is very, very open about this is interesting because we have an entire book in the Bible, the Old Testament, that, that really is description of a romantic relationship between a man and a woman, including this the sexual tension that's there in, in a good sense and, and the desires going on. In fact, so let's just let's look at Song of Solomon here, chapter 7. Oh, how beautiful you are, how pleasing, my love, how full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and, what? <laughs> Take hold of its fruit. That's in the Bible? It is in the Bible. Because see, God is very open about this, what this relationship is intended by him to be like. And sex is a part of that relationship between a man and woman. Now, We'll talk more about it, but sin has not made it all be like it ought to be, okay, in our experiences with it. But so this passage continues, and he says, may your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. Very sensual, isn't it? See, God created the sensual world. 
He created all of the, the uh, natural stirrings of sex and, and what happens between a man and a woman when they are attracted to each other. And then from God's, what God says, they get married. And what can be experienced there? Designer sex is what we're talking about. Now, we, we, we uh, mentioned this last week, said we'd talk more about it this week. And this is throughout the, right here from the book of Genesis and forward, what we see is that marriage is what provides God's boundary for the free expression of sexual desire and intimacy. Marriage is the boundary that the designer set up, okay? Now, let's just review. What do we mean by marriage, okay? We need to be clear about that. God's design for marriage is this. It is an exclusive intimate relationship between a man and a woman intended to last for a lifetime for the purpose of glorifying God by representing him and serving him in the world. Okay, that's God's design for marriage. Now, uh, obviously there are lots of people who are married who aren't uh, viewing their lives about being about glorifying God, right? But nonetheless, they're still, it's God's design for marriage. It's this man and woman with the intention of that being a lifelong commitment, which we know because of sin does not always happen that way. All right, so God designed sex, designer of sex. He uh, put it within the boundaries of marriage. So it's for a man and a woman who are committed to each other in marriage. Uh, I'm trying to think how to, to introduce it, but let's just, let me just say it. So, God designed sex to create a soul connection. It's obvious it's a physical connection, right? Sex is a, a whole physical connection, but it's about more than that. And so if we look here again in chapter 2, and again how Adam talks about it, now bone of my bones. Remember God took a rib of Adam's and created Eve, and, and then... Uh, Adam says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We are in this together. We are connected. Okay, one flesh, we. And so it is a soul connection which God intended. And we see this uh, outside of what the Bible says to us because uh, there's a, when you talk biochemistry, both physiologically and psychologically, what we see is that sexual activity and sexual climax leads to biochemical things going on in the body that produce bonding, that, that's, that produces affection for that other person. And, and see, this is one of the reasons that God says that, you know, sex, it's good in marriage because what's it do? It's bonding us. But sex outside the boundary of marriage is bonding us to what? Something else. Someone else. And so it's counterproductive to marriage. But so God designed sex to be a soul connection. But God also designed sex to symbolize our future relationship with Him. Say, so what, what are you talking about? Well, okay. It's, I'm not talking about anything weird. <laughs> what I'm talking about is that the Bible starts off right there in the beginning with a marriage, doesn't it? with Adam and Eve, and this open sexual relationship is part of that. Well, guess what? We get down to the end of the book of Revelation, we end with a marriage. We end with a marriage, you know, symbolized by human marriage, of Jesus, the Lord, and his people, us. That we are joined together in some way that marriage foreshadows. Or this marriage symbolizes. And so when we think of sex, and once again, it's not, we're not thinking biological reproduction here. We're thinking of a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. And, and that uh, the passion that's there, and, and in some sense the euphoria, the pleasure, the satisfaction, the, the closer bonding, that somehow or rather that foreshadows and symbolizes what we are going to experience with the Lord. Now, I don't think if you want to say it, but let me ask you, when sex is, is functioning the way God intends for it to, is it good? 
hell do they say that? It is. It's good. It is better than good. It is awesome. It is amazing. And so what is that what's it going to be like then when we finally with the Lord? Something that's, that's better than that. It's kind of like this. You think about a movie, some of the, say, the very best movie that you ever watched and just so loved it. And so it's this full movie. But before the movie came out, there were trailers, right? The movie trailers that were intended to give you a sense of what the movie was about. But do those trailers capture the movie? No, but they're trying to, they, they're foreshadowing it, okay? And so this is what sex and what it's trying to, what it's, it's like a trailer for the movie that's coming, okay, the reality. All right. Um, so both of those things, a soul connection and to symbolize something amazing that we're going to experience when we are with the Lord in heaven, okay? By the way, doesn't that make heaven sound really cool? Okay. All right, so let's step back again to this statement that marriage provides God's boundary for free expression of sexual desire and intimacy. He's the one who set it up that way. And when we say it provides the boundary, we're talking uh, not just about the physical, you know, the physical activity of, of a sexual relationship. We're also talking about the mental, where we're thinking about sex and emotional longing that sometimes goes along with that. That that too is supposed to be within the boundaries of marriage. I mean, when Jesus talked about that, right? He says, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery, right? And he says, well, did you know that you also should not be thinking about it? See, it's, it's, it's to be, our thoughts and our emotions are also to be tied up within the boundaries of marriage. He says, God's, in, the one who designed it set it up this way. Now, um, the Bible is really clear about this, that this is the boundary. We, we see it right here in the beginning in the book of Genesis, but it's, it's, it's reaffirmed multiple times throughout the scripture. In Leviticus chapter 18, it says this early on. He says, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments, God says, and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. And in both Egypt and in Canaan, there were sexual values and practices that were different than what God had established. And, and lots of other things that were different than what God had established, but certainly this as well. And so he says, do not get your beliefs and values from the world around you. But man, we are hammered, aren't we? Day in and day out with those values. And so we have to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, what values am I picking up from here? What am I beginning to accept that God doesn't accept? And, and so we want to be careful that we get our sense of values and our understanding of sex and what it's supposed to be from God. Okay? And by the way, what God wants for us is always what's best for us. In fact, I'm convinced that when he forbids something to us, it's because it's not good for us. Okay, it's not arbitrary. And so, um, it, after these verses, we're not going to look at them, but the next 18 verses, God goes over and gets more clear about this. He says, this kind of relationship doesn't fit. This relationship isn't, these people can't marry. You can't marry, you know, you can't have an incestuous relationship biologically. You can't have an incestuous relationship that is a relationship because you have a, because of marriage now. You can't do that. And, and you, you can't, in fact, he talks about you can't have a relationship with anybody outside your marriage. And, and he talks about homosexuality not fitting this. And he talks about bestiality not fixing this, fitting this. And so it's just very, very clear, okay, what his intentions are for the sexual relationship. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 13. Page 1384 that's in the Bible in the chairs there if you're using that. It's kind of interesting that this verse just boom, it pops up. The author seems here at the end to be kind of pulling together the last few things that he really wants to say. 
And we get to verse number four and he says this, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. And when he talks about the bed in marriage, he's talking about the sexual relationship. So he says, marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. There is nothing wrong with that sexual relationship between that husband and wife. And then he says on the outside of this, but fornicators, which means practices of sexual immorality, and adulterers God will judge. Okay, so he's making a very clear distinction here, isn't he? In marriage, anything else. That's, that's the way we think of it. In marriage or anything else, okay? Uh, it, and Bill, you'll like this. Uh, uh, I'm putting up here the uh, verses that are a paraphrase from the message. Aww. Bill likes the message paraphrase. But it says this, honor marriage, same what passage we just read, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. In other words, anything outside of that boundary. Is this getting fairly clear? Okay, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And start in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And, and again, let's just stop. Uh, by this point, from the foundation in the book of Genesis and other things, sexual immorality equals what? Sex of any shape, size, or color, or whatever, outside of the boundaries of marriage. That's sexual immorality, whether it's thoughts or deeds. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, not like what we said in Leviticus, not like the world. Not like what the world says is important. What the world says needs to happen. All right? So God has set this up. And it's very clear that its intention is that sex is good and it belongs within the boundary of marriage. Okay? So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 again. Something else that we see is that sin has messed things up. Should that surprise us? Genesis chapter 2. Again, let's, let's, let's read verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Fast forward. They listened to Satan's temptation and they sin against God. They disobey God. And let's see what happens. Verse 7 of the next chapter. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They began covering themselves up. They were, had this self-consciousness, but I think it goes back up to verse 25 when it says they were naked and not ashamed and now they are naked and what? Ashamed. Is anything wrong with nakedness? Has nakedness changed? No, but they've changed. And sin has affected them. And you know, shame is one of the biggest things that happens that accompanies sexual sin. For the person who is sinning uh, sexually, you know, we do see some of it, but for the most part, people don't advertise that. <laughs> right? Hey, I sinned sexually. I think I'll put it on Facebook. I understand that you know, society does get to a point where some of that kind of thing happens. But do you understand what I'm saying? There's a shamefulness to covering it up. Which is why, by the way, it sometimes becomes such a powerful thing in someone's life is because it's always covered, it's always hidden, rather than us getting it out in the open and, and helping, getting help with it, okay? But also, if someone has been sinned against sexually, when someone has been, a child has been sexually molested or an adolescent or, or someone has been violently violated sexually. Isn't it, it's too bad, but the victim feels 
shame. Now, we would say logically they shouldn't, right? But what I'm trying to say to you is that sin damages what sex is for. Sex has this good purposes in God and when it is used sinfully, pursued sinfully, it always does harm. It always damages, okay? We really need to buy into that. Not just about sex, but everything that God says. So, here's an overview. Here's where we're at. Here's what we get from the book of Genesis. Go ahead, if you would, Anthony. So God designed and created sex. We've seen that. Second thing, go ahead. Sex in marriage is a good and holy thing. And the next one, God's boundary for sex is the marriage relationship. And then finally, that sin damages people in marriages. Sexual sin damages people in marriages. And it does. It's not just words on a screen. It really, really does. Now, in our day and age, I think what we are hearing is that the, I mean, it's, as Christians, we're saying Jesus Lord. He was the one who rose from the dead. He's the one who provided salvation for us. He is our Lord. He's given us his word. And so that's our standard, at least we don't always live up to it, but that's our standard, okay? The world has a different standard. And uh, not all the world, but mainly, and this is what we hear. Well, as long as it's not hurting anyone, right? Well, if we want to think from a biblical perspective, here's something that's true. Anytime someone sins, someone's getting hurt. Whether it's the person who is sinning, and the person who is sinning is hurting themselves. Once again, as I said, why did God put things, why did he give us boundaries? Because that's what's best for us. And we hurt ourselves when we go outside of those boundaries, even if we don't think we do. Anybody ever raise a child who was doing something that you knew was not a good thing for them to do, but they didn't believe you? See, this is the way we are sometimes with God. But the idea is, he says, no, this is what's best for you. Do this, don't do that. And so it hurts the person who is sinning. But it does more than that. Because the person who is sinning sometimes is directly hurting somebody else. If you're including someone in your sin, you are hurting them as well. Whether it's someone who is cooperating with you, you're still hurting them as well. Not to mention the fact is that when we sin, it, it prevents us from becoming, at least at that time, what we ought to be. We have missed opportunities to grow, missed opportunities to do what's right because why? Because we're doing something different. And maybe now shame, we're hiding. It's all those kinds of things that prevent us from being then what I need to be for somebody else. In other words, God has relationships and, and I need to be walking with him in the spirit and growing in my wisdom and understanding. And if instead I'm sinning, that hinders that and now I can't help as much. Does that make sense? So it not only hurts you, it always hurts the people in your life as well. And by the way, this is why pornography is not victimless in any way, shape, or form. Pornography first is damaging to the people who are making it and who are involved with it. And then the person who watches it, it's, it's just, it, and it multiplies, it's, it's sin, okay? It is not victimless. And let me say this, the pornography is not like this thing that if, oh no, I, I have struggle, I look at pornography that, oh no, your life is over, you can't, you're done, you might as well give up. No, it matters, matters a lot. It's important, and as, as my friend Paul here has reminded me in a, a, a different area, but light is really good at disinfecting things. You put things in sunlight and the bad things tend to die, okay? And so with pornography, if you struggle with pornography, we need to come to light. You need to come talk to somebody. Doesn't have to be one of me or Dave, it depends where you're at, right? Talk with someone, another Christian. Let's get this out in the light because what you find out as soon as you expose it, it doesn't have nearly the hold on you that it used to. Okay, that's big. All right. But so this, as long as it's not hurting someone, is true. Is not true. Instead, what we understand this is that the most loving thing you can do for your fellow man is to live by biblical morality, especially in the area of sexuality. The the best thing you can do for anybody else is for you to live the way God says that you ought to live, because it's going to allow you to bring two 
the table the things that you need to. All right, so um, that's that whole view of what God has to say about it. But so what about where we are at today with what's in the news? Like I said, I just listened yesterday and there's court cases going on about this kind of stuff. And so let me just uh, label it. Labels are scary things, but it's a label that is, is pretty widely used to talk about this. And we'll say it's the LGBTQI+. Okay? Um, and sadly, let me just say that, and I understand why, but man, you hear people who, theoretically, you hear people either on media or on social media, and they start making fun of these things. And I understand why, but we must remember there are real people behind those letters, right? People like you and me, different set of problems maybe. People like you and me. So let's, let's uh, talk about this. What are they? L is for lesbian, that's that a woman who's attracted to other women. Uh, gay is for men who are sexually attracted to other women, or women. Uh, that's what I said in the beginning, give me grace. Uh, men who are attracted sexually to other men, uh, bisexual, people who say, well, they're attracted to both sexes, uh, transgender, we're going to talk more about this one in a little bit, but where someone feels like, you know, the body that I have is one sex, but what I feel like is the opposite. I, I feel like I'm a woman, but I got a man's body. I feel like a man, but I got a woman's body, okay? Uh, Q is for queer, and when I was growing up, queer just meant homosexual. Okay, but now it, it's, it's kind of bigger. It means anyone who really just doesn't kind of feel like they fit in the, any sort of normal situation can be labeled queer, okay? Uh, and then I is for intersex. Now, once again, you know, the, the, the people out there who are, are supportive of a different morality than God's are trying to make a big deal of intersex, okay? But the reality is, is they're making a bigger deal of it than they ought to. And here's what I mean by this. Intersex is when a person has uh, the chromosomes of, of one of the XY or XX, right? A man or a woman. But when their body formed as they were forming in the womb, their, their genitals, their reproductive system isn't quite that, right? We know that the genetic Abnormalities happen, right, in a sin-cursed world, okay? And so sometimes there's the, the physical isn't matching the, what the actual chromosomes are. And so that does happen. Uh, the National Institutes of Health, their library of medicine, I went on there and I was looking, and they said that it's, it's in the popular media, it's way overestimated. The reality is that less than two-tenths of one percent of people have something like that, and it doesn't even often mess them up, okay? Now, having said that, those who do struggle with intersex, that, wow, this is, there's a contradiction here in my body, and I don't know if that, you know, man, should we have compassion for them? How hard a place would that be, okay? And so that's a real issue, uh, but it isn't necessarily sin. It could lead to them making sinful decisions, but in and of itself, it's not sinful. Lesbianism goes against what God says in his word, right? Bisexuality, I mean, gay goes against what God says in the word. Bisexuality at some point is gonna cross over out of what God says is acceptable. Um, I'll talk about transgender a minute, in just a minute. Queer, again, any way that that would go against sex outside the boundaries of marriage would not be correct. Uh, and so, by the way, Genesis 3, or 1 through 3, you know, provides us with that foundation, right? If we, if we start with Genesis, we have the foundation for arriving at these conclusions. A man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And so this will answer those kinds of things. Now, one more thing, the plus. Okay, this is where it gets hard. And, and um, is at least the most recent thing I can see, there are now 72 gender descriptions. Okay? And it seems confusing to me. But what's going on here is that individuals who do not have an anchor 
for their lives and their morality, individuals who do not have a foundation of God and his word, are trying to figure out who am I, what am I like, how am I unique, and it's okay. And so you get all of these things, the ways people are trying to deal with that, okay? Um, and the fact that, well, just, let's just remember, these people who have these feelings, you and I, our initial human response might be to go, what? But again, those are real people who matter. I'll remind you of that in a little while here. With respect to transgender, okay, so uh, is someone who says, yeah, I got a man's body, but I feel like a woman. I got a woman's body, I feel like a man. And, and then we talk about, you know, maybe I can trans, you know, cross over here physically through surgery or, or all this kind of stuff, whatever. The, um, let me say first, that the fact that someone experiences a feeling does not mean they're sinning. Okay, now hear that. I get feelings off and on all the time that I didn't intend to have, but I'm not sinning. But I gotta decide what do I do with the feeling? And that's where I decide, do I go with God and his boundary or do I go with Mind. So that's where the sin could come in. But the Bible doesn't specifically say anything about transgender issues, except one thing that's related, it's closely related. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 says, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. And God said, that's not right. And, and this is about cross-dressing, okay? But it's not about the cross-dressing, the, the issue. There's a deeper issue here, and that's that a man should not say, you know, I don't want to be a man anymore. I want to be a woman, and I'm going to become a woman. And a woman shouldn't say, you know, I don't want to be a woman anymore. I want to be a man, and I'm going to become a man. That's what's kind of underlying this idea here. Now, um, somebody, and it's often said, <laughs> have you ever heard it? Well, you guys, you just pick and choose out of the Bible. You know, uh, the Bible, the Old Testament says you shouldn't eat shellfish. Anybody like clams? Oysters, shrimp, you shouldn't eat that stuff. Uh, you shouldn't, anybody wearing here uh, blended fabrics today? You're not supposed to do that. Anybody have, you know, you ever plant a garden and you plant different stuff with each other? I mean, you're not supposed to do that. I mean, we go on, there are a number of things. So how do we respond to that? I say, well, you just picked this one. <laughs> Well, here's, let's understand some things about the Old Testament laws. So, first of all, there, there are four kinds. There's worship or ceremonial laws, civil laws, practical life and health laws, and then moral laws. The worship and ceremonial laws were about how the Jewish people and their religion, how they worshiped God. By the way, there's a lot of symbolism in there for what God was gonna do in Jesus, but it was their worship, okay? Uh, the civil laws, that was the laws of how do we function as society here, and, um, let me stop, I meant to say this. The New Testament is quite clear that we are not under any of these laws. No except. Let me explain. But anyway, so the civil laws, once again, we can study those civil laws and say, wow, what's, what could we apply that would be good in our society and do that? Uh, then there's the practical uh, life laws, health laws. These were laws of cleanliness. These were laws of what you ate and how you ate it and when you ate it, all those kinds of things. We can look at that and, 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 and that was for their world in which they lived and we might be able to say, okay, you know, there's things we can learn to it, but we aren't under that law. And then the moral laws. This is... Don't kill, don't murder, I mean, the same thing, kind of don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, moral things. And what the moral law did was codified things that were already right and wrong. It was, it was always wrong to lie. It was always wrong to steal, and so it makes it in the law. But we're not, we're not under this law as far as trying to please God and live our lives that way. But that doesn't change the fact that some things are right and some things are wrong. Does that make sense? Okay. 
And so when we're talking and from go to the Old Testament law, we aren't saying, oh, we got to live by all these rules. No, we're not. We're saying, what can we learn here that is good and wise and apply? What's a principle? What does it tell us about what's right and wrong? And by the way, these ideas of what's right and wrong, as they were codified in the law, tell us how do we express our love to God? And how do we love each other? Well, if I love you, I should not lie to you, right? If I love you, I should not steal from you. See, and so this is what those things help us to know. How do we love God? How do we love others? All right. So let's get down here to, what does this mean for us here? Same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria are real issues that real people face. They really, really are. I mean, I can, I don't, I can't say I feel it for them, but I can agonize over someone who's agonizing with day in and day out for whatever reason, however they got there, they feel like I am a woman trapped in a man's body. I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Or I'm, I'm a man, I'm attracted to other men sexually. And, and, and let me say this, that based on what I've read and listened to and heard is that I can't say absolutely, but almost all men and women who are same-sex attracted did not make a conscious choice to be so. Okay? Now they may choose what to do about it and choose the behaviors, how they respond, but they did not choose. In fact, most of you talked to them said if I could not be this way, I would choose that, okay? So shouldn't this cause us to have compassion and grace for people who find themselves with a heavy duty struggle? And here's the deal, they aren't the only ones struggling. I have things that I struggle with, it's just not the same things that they struggle with. But mine are more socially acceptable than theirs are. You see what I'm saying? We've got to think of this like Christians, biblically. Okay, so people who, who experience desires contrary to God's design, okay? Who's that? Come on, who is that? Anybody here? Yeah. It's all of us, isn't it, right? We find ourselves experiencing desires that are contrary to God's design. Well, what do we know about us? We are made in God's image and are intrinsically valuable. Even though we're messed up, even though we do what's wrong, yes, we are intrinsically valuable to God. He showed that to us because we are loved by God and his son died for us. All of us, right? Every one of us. We are in need of transformation from what we are by nature to what God has called us to be. That moment I got saved, April 4th, 1975, I opened up my heart and said, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again. I accept Jesus as my savior. God forgave me. He gave me eternal life. He moved in and began working on me because I was a mess. And so were you and so we all are still to some extent. We are in need of transformation, right? From what we have been, even from what we are, to what God intends for us to be. So let's just be more specific. People who experience same-sex and attraction or gender dysphoria. They are made in God's image and are intrinsically valuable. They are loved by God. Jesus died for them. And they are in need of transformation from what they are by nature to what God has called them to be. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? Now, don't let's just stand, I'm not downplaying what they're dealing with by saying, oh, we're all in the same boat. That's not my point. I'm talking about humility on our part. It would be hard to see, oh, man, I have same-sex attraction and I, I, I wanna do what God says I want, he wants me to do, but that means that I would never have a relationship. There's no relationship available to me where I can freely express myself sexually. Oh, that's a hard thing. Let's just be real honest about that, okay? Uh, all right, so here's the overview from Genesis. God designed sex and created it. Sex and marriage, a good thing, a holy thing. God's bounty for sex is the marriage relationship. And sexual sin damages people 
and marriages. Pretty straightforward. But understand, God designed sex for his good purposes in our lives. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Anthony. He designed sex for his good purposes in our lives. Well, so does that mean me who heterosexual, never struggled, same-sex attraction, never had any gender trans or dysphoria that I know of, I mean, all this kind of stuff. Did God design sex to be good for me? Did he? I so the person who struggles with same-sex attraction, and maybe they aren't struggling, they're just there. And people who have this gender confusion that they're trying to figure out, did God design sex for his good purposes in their lives? Yes. What do you think? He did. Now, how's that gonna work? Well, let's look at the next two points and then I'll talk about it. Okay, well, we need to submit ourselves to his design in order to experience the blessings of designer sex. Okay? That's how we experience the blessings that he intended with it. Okay, and the next one, we glorify God by submitting our sexuality to his boundaries, whether we are married or not. Whether, you know, man and woman are married or whether we aren't in that relationship, that we glorify God by submitting to that boundary. If I'm in the marriage relationship, I have this, I glorify God by willingly submitting myself to the boundary of my marriage. If I am not within a marriage relationship, I glorify God by willingly submitting myself to that boundary. And, and let's think about this. We talked earlier about, okay, the sex symbolizes something about our future relationship with God. Right, we said, don't know all the details, but it's gonna be good. It's amazing. If you never marry and you choose to surrender yourself to the Lord and, and live by his boundaries when it comes to sex, you know what you're saying about sex? You're saying God's ways for sex are best. Even though I'm not participating in that, I'm participating in it by submitting to God and doing what he says in this area of my life. I'm not gonna go that way. And maybe you live and you never experience a sexual relationship on earth. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever watched a movie that was just amazing. Anybody besides me? Somebody, you watch a movie that's amazing and then you're so sad because you say, I never saw the trailer. <laughs> you wouldn't care, would you? Because you saw the movie. And so it is. We're here on earth, this is the boundary for sex, and I'm outside of marriage, but I'm honoring that boundary. I make it to heaven, and I experience this reality with the Lord, and I go, I'm so sad because I never had sex on earth. It's not gonna be like that. You see what I'm saying? It's just gonna be out the way. So let me finish now with sort of a challenge to us as a church. And uh, I could be speaking to somebody here. I mean, obviously all of us will hear the challenge, but more than likely I'm speaking to someone who's watching or who may be listening later. This is very, very, very important. I really want to, you to hear this. If you are saying, gee, I, I, I would like to have a relationship with God, you are welcome here. I, I don't care where you're coming from. I don't care what your problems are, what struggles you have. We've, I've tried to tell you what I believe is truth about what God says, and that's what's best for you and me and all of us. But you are welcome here. If you are saying, man, I got these feelings and I don't know what to do with them, you are welcome here. You may be saying, yeah, I just don't know if I buy all that, but I'm, I'm somehow rather, I, I'm drawn to Jesus. I don't get it. What, you are welcome here. So church, do you think you can say that with me? Can you say it with me? That whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, if you want to consider or pursue a relationship with the Lord, 
Can you say it with me? You are welcome here. That's big. And I understand people who are, you know, totally on the opposite side of this whole thing with us that, you know, God has granted them the freedom to be there. We're going to actually talk about that in a couple weeks. But um, let me just, let me say this. Let me just read you. Here's our commitment to you, okay? Those of you who are not presently here and already uh, in alignment with all these things we talked about today. Our commitment to you first, we will value you as a fellow human being, okay? Secondly, we will seek to know you personally, you know you by name, uh, to understand and care about you. Care about you in your circumstances and love you as Christ has loved us. Thirdly, we will help you to figure out how to respond to the truths of God's word as it relates to your life. Number four, we will support you relationally and emotion as you work to become the person God wants you to be. As you can come in and be a part, we're with you. Okay? And then finally, we will give you lots of grace along the way. And since none of us are anywhere close to that, not being perfect ourselves, we just ask you to do the same for us. Okay? And then uh, before we conclude with prayer, I think just a good reminder the attitude of the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived, right? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And he isn't saying he was the worst of all sinners. He says that's a saying that we should remind ourselves of and have that mindset, my sins first. Okay. I'd love to talk to any of you if you're watching, listening, those of you who are here today, if you have questions, you have concerns, maybe you're angry, whatever, I would, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to get to know you, learn something from you, and help you from the perspective of a Christian, okay? Father, we come to you and we are so grateful that you while we were yet sinners, you, you sent your son to die for us. That we did not have to try to measure up or earn it. We just had to humble ourselves and accept it. And I pray, Father, for each and every person who's heard this, wherever we're each at, whatever our struggles are, Lord, whether we're struggle with heterosexual sin or homosexual sin or whatever the list may be, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you and come and say, Lord, we want what you want and we need your help to get there. And I pray, Father, we as a church will, will honor and glorify you by loving you and loving each other the way your son has loved us and that that love, Lord, can be extended to those who need to know you even if they are on a totally different place than us. Because <laughs> we were on a totally different place than you when you saved us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, God bless you. Pastor Dave will be preaching next Sunday because I'm marrying my daughter off next Saturday. I won't be in any kind of mindset to preach next Sunday. And, uh, but we're going to talk about freedom, the importance of freedom in two weeks. Thank you.